Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank. As promised, joining me now from New Orleans, formerly of the Times PQ, now with The Athletic, uh, an author. You might know him from the Duncan Holder podcast and the things he and Larry have done. And if you're a Saints fan, you know the name, talking about Jeff Duncan and uh, Jeff, I don't, I think we had you on the air maybe a decade ago to, um, to promote the book you had wrote about, you know, tales from the Orleans Saints sideline and a lot of good things. Now you got another book we're going to talk about. I appreciate you joining me among other things, but uh, first off, man, good morning. And how are you? Scott, I'm doing really good. I mean, how can you not be doing well in the middle of this beautiful month of October? I know, uh, over in your neck of the woods, you've had to deal with some difficult storms uh, that have come through, uh, but the October weather at least makes it a little more manageable. I tell you what, uh, we didn't have power for a few days, and uh, I wish that it had been as nice outside as it is right now, but you're yeah. right, man. We got we got plenty of sports to chew on. I just talked to uh, Mike Neighbors, who I know you were on his podcast uh, this past week. He had Scott Shanley and he just wanted me to, you know, let you know that he's supposed to get your book on his doorstep today. So he, he said, make sure Jeff knows I plugged his book again uh, publicly. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like neighbors. Uh, tell him he's in a long line, but I'll, I'll get him one eventually. Oh, there you go. Um, Jeff Duncan, <laughs> our guest, ESPN 1420. Um, let, let, let's start with the book, Jeff. Uh, it's called Peyton and Breeze, The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History. Uh, folks can uh, can can buy it now, and, and I mean I'm I'm reading the bio here, but folks don't want to hear that from me. Uh, I know there's a Ford in there from Steve Gleason, but what? Sell me on this book. What's going to set this apart from other things I've read about this? You know, this offense and these two guys over the last 14 plus years. Well, Scott, I tell you, there's there's been a lot of ground that hasn't been covered. You know, Sean and Drew both had books after the Super Bowl. Uh, in 2009, I think the books came out in 2010. Both of them were New York Times bestsellers, very, very well received and well read books. But since then, I mean, uh, there's been a lot that's gone on. Drew Brees has become the all time passing king. Uh, Sean Payton's had a roller coaster ride in his tenure as the head coach. And they're on an upswing here, having three straight uh, winning seasons. And, uh, you know, this is really a study of their relationship. Uh, on the field, mainly, uh, how they've come together, this historic partnership to break almost every NFL passing record and, and have endured over a decade and a half. Uh, it's really remarkable. It's unprecedented for a quarterback and a head coach to last this long. We really haven't seen anything like this in NFL history. And I think it's remarkable that they've been able to continue to evolve. Uh, we, we've seen how difficult that is. Uh, Andy Reid, for example, in, in Philadelphia had to move on. It got a little stale there. Mike McCarthy in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, you know, that partnership didn't last this long. Uh, so I think sometimes we end up taking for granted what we've seen here in New Orleans uh, because it's, it's just happened for 15 years now, and it's about to come to an end, and it seemed like a good time in Drew Brees' timeline as a quarterback to really die, take a deep dive into this relationship and also into this offense, which I argue in the book is the greatest offense in NFL history because they've done it 
for such a long period of time. Their body of work is unprecedented. The amount of yards they've gained, the amount of points they've scored, we've never seen that in NFL history. And so it felt like a good project to take on, uh, although it was the dark cloud hanging over my head for about two years straight. Jeff Duncan, our guest, ESPN 1420, Saints Insider. Um, in terms of arguments against being the best, is the most common one you hear from critics, even though football, you know, three phases, offense, defense, special teams, is the most common uh, clapback, if you will. Well, why don't they have more championships? For sure. And it's a legitimate argument. Head coaches and quarterbacks, right or wrong, are judged on Super Bowls in the NFL. And the fact that Peyton and Breeze have only been to one, they've won one, but they've only been to one, I think is certainly, uh, it certainly tarnishes their legacy. And they need to get back there this year, I think. If, if this is, in fact, Drew Breeze's last season, uh, it's going to be important for his place in history. Uh, you know, his ranking and his, uh, you know, status as one of the all-time greats, I think to at least get that other notch in his belt. Uh, and you can make an argument, and, and I do pretty strongly in the book about how, uh, you know, the Minnesota Miracle game should have been one of the great uh, wins in the history of the Saints mm-hmm. and in the history of the Breeze-Payton partnership, rallying from 17 points down against the number one defense in the league on the road, getting the lead with seconds left on the clock and giving up a, you know, the defense gives it up. Just like you mentioned. I mean, there's three phases of the game. I think that the Peyton breeze legacy part of it will be written that, that the, the historically bad defenses here undermined the brilliance of that quarterback coach combination. You know, covering the saints as long as you have, uh, and I've followed this team my whole life and they're, you know, one of the main talking points, here in uh, in Lafayette, in terms of sports fans, I, I look at the 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 loss to to San Francisco, you know, in the divisional round after the 2011 season, uh, the Minneapolis miracle, and then of course the the non call against the Rams. Talking about being close to a Super Bowl, I mean that that for for fans that's like high end pain, and I know for the team as well. Uh, what do you feel like from an organizational standpoint, right? Not not so much the fans, but the team. Which of those losses do you think hurt the most to to those guys? Well, I think you'd have to say the no no call because it was something that really they didn't control and they were one step, one minute away from the Super Bowl, getting back there uh, with a great team, and it happened on their home field, uh, a game they were favored to win. Uh, so those those uh, wounds, I don't know if they'll ever heal. And and the further we get from those games, I think even even for the players and coaches, they realize just how heartbreaking it was to be that close. Uh, but I would say this, Scott. I mean, the number of players I've talked to, uh, Sean Payton has never said this. He kind of avoids comparing teams. But that 2011 Saints team. The loss of the 49ers was, I think, the most talented team. They were playing the best, too. I mean, that's something I think is important in the league is sometimes you have to just be playing well at the end of the year. It happens all the time. We've seen Eli Manning win two Super Bowls with the Giants when they were wild-card teams. You know, you have to be get hot at the right time. That San San Francisco game was so tough because the Saints were dominant at the end of the year, extremely talented, the best offensive team they've ever had. And if they could have gotten past that game, they would have played the Giants back in the Superdome and, and 
probably waltzed into the Super Bowl that year. So I'm sure that one hurts equally. Yeah, of those three, I'm I'm with you, Jeff. I mean, the 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 nine call is the one that, you know, again because of obvious reasons, is out of your control. But of those three teams, that 2011 team was the best one. I mean, I think it's the most talented team in team history, and I'm sure in your book, talking about the greatest offense in NFL history. Of all the seasons, that was their best season of offense, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And and you know what's interesting about it, Scott, is that the offense really evolved. I think sometimes people forget when Breeze and Peyton came together in 2006, they were not this offensive high-flying juggernaut we see today or at least four or five years ago for sure. Uh, you know, you go back and look at those scores. They were scoring in the mid-20s, low-20s. They were winning with – running the ball with Deuce McAllister and Reggie Bush, it took them a while to figure out this offense and to, uh, you know, evolve it and to get in the personnel to make it work. They they started adding receivers like Robert Meacham. They had Colston, of course, developed and Lance Moore. And by about the end of 2008, the thing started really humming, but the, but the team wasn't fully formed yet. They were still a 500 football team in 2008. But if you remember, the uh, Drew Brees almost broke Dan Marino's record that year. He fell just a few yards short. We could start to see what was developing, even though nationally, I don't think people realized it. And then the next year, once they got the defense fixed, they brought in Greg Williams, they exploded, won the Super Bowl, and really the offense has been a top five, often number one offense in the league for decades straight. And if you look at NFL history, the only other teams that have been that good for that long were the Walsh, Montana 49ers, and, the, and that carried over into Seifert, Steve Young 49ers. But it it was two different coaches and two different quarterbacks with the 49ers, which is in itself a, a remarkable accomplishment. But in New Orleans, we've never seen anything like what we've seen here with the same quarterback and the same coach continuing to evolve for such a long period of time. ESPN1420.com, Jeff Duncan of The Athletic, our guest. Uh, anytime I bring a, someone that covers the team or has covered for a while that I don't talk to a lot, I, I ask them about uh, maybe stories or their relationship with Sean Payton over the years. Um, and I haven't talked to you you know, very often, Jeff, but you know, talking to uh, one of your buddies, Larry Holder, uh, a few months ago about, you know, um, Negative Larry, we'll put it there. We'll put it that way. Just some of the, just everybody's got some kind of story. What's what's your relationship been like with Sean Payton over the last fourteen plus years? And uh, I, I, I imagine it's evolved a little bit. Uh, what's kind of some of the good and, and perhaps some of the bad in dealing with him? Well, you know, we our relationship definitely evolved uh, over the years. I mean, when he came to New Orleans, I had just become a columnist, so I was learning how to write with an opinion after almost my entire career being told not to write with an opinion. So suddenly you get this platform and this, uh, you know, this bully pulpit and, you know, you can, I would describe myself as, you know, scorched earth policy early on because all of a sudden I was unleashed. And so, look, I made some mistakes uh, in, in some of the columns I wrote. I was probably a little too harsh. He was learning as a head coach back then. And, and I've documented this a lot in this book, how he's evolved and matured and, and he doesn't joust windmills is the way I describe it. He was always looking for motivation and seeking out enemies, perceived, real, or otherwise. And the media was one of his uh, windmills. He used to always get into it with different reporters uh, locally. 
Uh, he set very harsh media relations guidelines that were very strict, which angered a lot of local reporters. So he and I butted heads a lot, especially after the bounty season. There was a period of time, Scott, where for two years we didn't even talk. I mean, he, he uh, essentially blackballed me from the organization. Now we're on great terms. I mean, I just wrote a book with him. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, there's a meeting of the mind. There's time healing wounds. There's a mature a maturation process for everyone involved. And uh, I like to think I've gotten better as a columnist, and he's certainly gotten better as a head coach. But he's an interesting guy. I- I'll tell you, he's, I can see why he's so successful. There's a lot of traits there, his intelligence, his communication skills, extraordinary leader. Uh, you know, he got a lot of that from Bill Parcells, and I think that's what makes Sean Payton such a great coach is he not only has the X's and O's wizardry, uh, you know, the, the play design, but he also knows how to lead an organization, lead a football team, had, and then take in the big picture. And that includes media. He understands media very well. I think all those things have made him uh, very successful, and I think they'll continue to be successful after Drew Brees leaves because of Sean Payton's ability as a coach. Jeff Duncan, our guest from The Athletic and author, his latest book, Peyton and Breeze, The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History. A lot of their story over the last 14-plus years that has not been told, uh, Jeff um, is telling in this book. A lot of nice behind-the-scenes stuff. I look forward to reading it, uh, Jeff, as well. I, uh, I'm i going to order a copy today. Give Mike Neighbors credit, though. He sold me on it, not you. I'm just messing. Um, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier becoming a columnist and sort of finding your voice and evolving into that and perhaps at times being too harsh. You know, I think similar to sports radio, fans of teams get perceptions of us, right? Well, that guy, that sports talk guy is more like this. or that's And, and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong, frankly. But it's sort of this, um, I don't know, this this perception that, that carries weight among fans. Now, as a columnist and not just a reporter – you know, Saints fans, especially ones that are like to the core, no matter what, I'm going to defend them in the face of anything. They're going to react uh, strongly, right? When he, when you when you share an opinion of any kind, and Lord knows, in the days of social media, it's all over the place. How do you think the Saints the Saints fan base perceives you? Oh, that's a good question. I really don't know. I mean, it, it's such a broad spectrum. Um, I would like to think that they think I'm fair and impartial, uh, that I'm not a homer, but I, you know, support the team. Uh, you know, I think sometimes to be honest with you, people get colored by social media and think that, uh, maybe what I call the vocal minority, uh, is a, uh, representative of an entire fan base. And I, I, I caution our young reporters that I work with to not, uh, you know, be overly influenced by what I call the hecklers in, in the crowd, right? 16,000 people at the, at the, at the comedy show, 15,998 are enjoying it. And two people are heckling. They get all the attention sometimes and a good comic ignores them. And that's what you have to do as a reporter, because I feel like there's always going to be, look, Saints fans are the most passionate fans uh, in the NFL bar none. And they support their team. It's almost familial how they feel about their football team. So you have to expect when someone, anyone, Roger Goodell, an NFL official, a columnist of the local newspaper, says something they don't like, there's going to be a segment 
that is very provincial and tribal in nature and is going to lash out against them. And that's what you should expect. It comes with the territory of speaking your mind. I had a lot of people last week that didn't like my column on Mike Thomas. Uh, you know, that just comes with the territory. But I think it's a very small segment. And so I've, I, I'm, I'm asked to speak all over town. I do a lot of work in the community where people I engage with. I don't think those are the people on Twitter trolling a column I wrote about the left guard, if you know what I'm saying, Scott. I mean, I think there's Saints fans in general are the people that have families and jobs and go to the games on the weekends, watch the games on the weekend, and they've got more to do than worry about what a columnist has to say about uh, something that they perceive as a slight to their to their uh, you know beloved football team. I remember, I guess a, maybe it was a decade ago, you wrote a, an article about Jeremy Shockey and some of the issues within the locker room. And I was talking about, you know, Shockey last hour, uh, coincidentally with neighbors a little bit, referencing Michael Thomas in that, you know, Shockey was not the, he had an impact, but he was not as good a player as Thomas was. I mean, Thomas is arguably the best player on the team, certainly one of the best, maybe the best receiver in the league, the offensive player of the year last year. Um, that locker room, when it's one of the best players, whatever you do is going to carry a lot more weight. Um, and you, you kind of referenced this in your article, uh, Jeff, or maybe you, I don't. I, I read it when I read it the day it came out. So maybe you outright referenced it, but in that, like the Saints, like if they wanted, if if they wanted to kind of keep it simple or or keep it quiet. They could have just said, look, he's going to miss the game, you know, still working through the injury. We're just going to go to the bye week. But it, it seemed to me that Peyton and, you know, when he kind of wants something to get out, you know, it, it'll get out a little bit. Um, is that is that fair to say that if they had kind of wanted to keep things quiet or, or tried their best to keep things quiet, rather, that maybe that article doesn't happen? Um, in or, or do you feel like, look, you were writing that thing last week no matter what? Yeah, that's a good question, and like, let me just put it to you this way. I agree with both your premises there. One, I think the Saints wanted it out, but it had they did not have any input on my column uh, at all. Uh, they did not feed me anything on this. I, th- th- that column was informed by months and years of being around the team and talking to people. I, I think that's one of the things that some fans don't understand is that the reporters and columnists around the team, most of what they're writing is informed by talking to people within the organization. Uh, so you're not just on a mountaintop writing something from afar. You are, you're, you're at least the good reporters and good columnists are informed by sources. And all, what you're writing is exactly how people inside the building on the team feel exactly the same way about the subject you're writing about. So, uh, you know, I think they tend to think it's it's us or them when actually it's a lot more – there's a lot more gray area there. Uh, and uh, that Mike Thomas column was was informed by months of talking to people in the building and finding out he's a difficult guy to deal with. He's a complicated personality. And uh, the Saints clearly were trying to send him a message that it, it had gotten out of hand in one incident. It wasn't just the fight. It was how he responded to the coaches who were trying to break up the fight, uh, you know, who's insubordinate and you don't suspend your best offensive player, you know, the best receiver in the league when he's finally coming back for a key game, you don't suspend him without it being a significant incident. And so I think this was 
the result of, of months of behavior more than just one single flashpoint. Jeff Duncan, our guest from The Athletic, author of Peyton and Breeze, The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History. So, you know, to your point, Jeff, about being close to the team, how often do you sort of – how do I word this? You might not be able to answer this off the top of your head, but, like, how long have you held on to something that you're like, you know what, I learned this, I'm going to put it, you know, in the bank. I don't know if I overuse it, but I might at some point, right, for a story. Like, you, 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 do you, do you kind of at some point write all of the nuggets you might discover or get through sources or there's some that you hold on to and you just never have any use for and you just end up having to just kind of toss the nugget in the in the trash, so to speak? Yeah, that's a good question also. I mean, look, 90% of, 95% of what you know, you never never sees the light of day in print. Right. Uh, never, in, or online for that matter. It, it's That's how it works. You ask Jake Glazer, who's, uh, you know, a very well-respected NFL insider at Fox uh, he'll tell you he, he reports 1% of what he knows. Uh, you know, you, you have to be judicious in how you parse out information, and, and you have to be fair. Uh, you know, I would not have written what I wrote about Mike Thomas if that was the only thing that had happened with him. If it were not a, a concern organizationally within the building, that would have never been written. You have to be, you know, obviously fair in how you deal with, with professional athletes. But in that regard as well, you know, the organization paid Mike Thomas um, $100 million, basically invested in a five-year, hundred or four-year, $100 million contract in him. They, when you re- receive that kind of investment from a team, that kind of commitment, more goes to it than just catching footballs on Sundays. It, there, there's a responsibility and an obligation to be, to be a spokesman for the team, to be a team leader. A lot goes with that. Mickey Loomis and, and the Brain Trust tells those players that. Same thing with Alvin Kamara. If you notice, Scott, Alvin Kamara is doing a lot more out front media. Now that he's signed a new deal, he's doing more things in the community. That is all by design. They don't invest in those players without having a sit-down with them. So in that regard, they expect more from Mike Thomas than sucker-punching a teammate and then going after his own coaches and treating other people in the building poorly that work for the organization. All those things add up. Uh, you know, to a reputation and to a, a pattern of behavior that uh, at this point was unacceptable. Saints insider Jeff Duncan, our guest, ESPN 1420. I'm Scott Prather. Jeff, one of the sources you referenced in there um, is something that I think has been, you know, to an extent echoed a little bit in that part of what makes Mike great is also sometimes we can get him in trouble. Um, so my, I guess my my question I'm leading into is, and I'll start with an opinion and then toss it to you. I, I, I think Mike is going to have a monster game on Sunday because I think he's going to – I mean, the guy's always out to prove something, it seems like, perpetually all the time. But um, I think after what's unfolded here, Sunday's a, Sunday's a big moment for him and for this team. But I think particularly for him, and, and as you know, Mike, in covering this team, whenever a team's winning, uh, some you know potential locker room issues don't blow up. And when you're losing – they all kind of just explode and, and things can fall apart. So I think it's a big moment for him Sunday and for this team, but I think he's going to play really well. What do you expect out of Thomas Sunday and his uh, seemingly first game back and, uh, and and perhaps the rest of the season after that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to have a monster game. I think he's going to finish the season uh, very strongly. And he's another guy that I would use the phrase joust windmills. You know, he, 
he's constantly felt disrespected throughout his career. It's one of the reasons he's, you know, ascended to the top of the receiving game in the NFL. Why he's one of the top receivers, if not the top receiver, he's used that um, perception uh, and disrespect card to drive him and to fuel him. Uh, he wasn't a first-round draft pick. In many ways, he reminds me in that regard of Drew Brees, who was, wasn't a, a first-round draft pick and used that chip on his shoulder to fuel his career. Mike Thomas does that as well. I think the, the problems are when you take it off the field and it carries over that confidence, that inner drive carries over to almost being, as I use the word, um, boorish. Uh, you know, there's a fine line there, and you have to learn how to deal with people organizationally. And uh, I think that's where he needs to correct it off the field. On the field, no one has any issues with Mike Thomas. He's one of the hardest workers on the team, full talent. And, uh, you know, a guy that is very tough. I mean, he wanted to come back earlier. He was trying to come back to play despite that high ankle sprain. Uh, so it's not, he's not a guy milking an injury by any means. Uh, and he's, he's well-respected within the locker room for those reasons. He's almost like Christian Bale, right? Like a method actor. Like, yes, extremely talented, can kind of do it all on the screen, People want to work with him. A lot of success, a lot of box office success, but that method acting like sometimes carries over off the set and things can get a little heated, right? He's like this this method actor in that what drives him is so, so strong that sometimes it bleeds over into things off the field, as you put it. Um, Jeff Duncan is our guest. A few more for you, Jeff. We appreciate the time. I, I, just, I wanted to echo something you said earlier about um, – gathering information over the course of time and how 95% of the stuff you hear, right? You never, it never sees print. And it's something that I, I haven't talked about a ton on the radio, but I've told people that ask about this business or ask me about it. Um, and, and I, I'm not in New Orleans like you and don't have, you know, I mean, I, I know a few people that, that cover the saints and, uh, and, and I know a couple of players there. So I get stuff here and there, but there, there are different universities and teams in this state that I have, a few more connections to, and I hear stuff, and I don't, you know, I'm told. It could be a coach, it could be a player, it could be someone in the media, hey, this is off the record, right? So obviously I'm not going to come on the radio and talk about it. You're not going to go to print and and write about this thing that was off the record, but it shapes your opinion on certain subject matters. And that's what I tell folks sometimes when they're like, well, what, what makes you think, you know, you know more about this player, or this recruiter, this guy than me? I'm like, look, I'm, I might not. But I, but here's why, right? I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you exact things I've heard, but these things have shaped my opinion. And like you said, I think sometimes it can come across to, you know, fans or followers that this stuff is just suddenly coming, I think you said, from a mountaintop kind of out of nowhere, when in reality it's been a long trek up to that mountain and, and you've, you know, you've kind of learned the trail along the way. Yeah, no, it's well said and well put. I, I just, uh, I think people don't, really understand a lot of times how the media works. I think it's one of the faults of our business. Also, we don't broadcast how things work in, in, in the more and more, uh, the, one of the biggest changes I've seen in covering sports in my tenure here. Uh, you know, I remember covering the saints in the early two thousands, even when they had good teams under Jim Hazlitt and, uh, you know, the Aaron Brooks, Jeff Blake days, there was maybe three or four reporters covering the team, you know, the local TV and then three or four beat reporters, AP reporter. And now there's just an army of people, the, the social media blogs, everything's exploded 
And I think it's very difficult sometimes for fans and consumers of news to distinguish between the differences between, say, a blogger who's just sitting at his desk or his or her uh, you know, laptop and typing up a fan blog and the difference between that and a professional journalist who's trying to cover the team objectively. And I think that those blurred lines confuses people and they don't understand that it's our job to ask tough questions. It's our job to cover the team objectively uh, and not be a mouthpiece for the organization. But the, but the blurred lines from all the blogs and podcasts of basically what I would say fans with mics, uh, you know, makes it a little more difficult to distinguish that in, in this modern era. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, it's just my opinion. I think that, um, I think there's a place for those things. I just think, like you said, it's it's hard to distinguish between the two. I love, you know, the passion from sports fans that has just, you know, continues to just seemingly grow and get stronger and stronger is part of the reason I've you know been able to host this show for 15 years and um, you know in in and why I guess there are more media members covering the team, but there also can be some um, I guess negative effects of that right in that. How do you distinguish between the two? What's real? What's not? Uh, and and like you said, just a matter of kind of getting the word out and um, maybe in the media explaining things, kind of how the sausage is made a little bit more often. Which I don't do too much because, frankly, Jeff, it's not like we have time to do that that often. You know, it's uh, it's really right. busy. And and you've been writing a book. Uh, it's called Peyton and Breeze: The Men Who Built the Greatest Offense in NFL History. Before we let you run. Um, you go ahead and go ahead and plug it again and and let folks know where they can get a copy. Yeah, it was just released on bookshelves, bookstores last week. So you can find it at probably any local bookstore or order it online at at Amazon or you can order it through the publisher Triumph Books. I'll be doing some virtual on uh, unfortunately we because of the pandemic we can't do a lot of in-person uh, book signing stills, but we're doing a lot of virtual events. And I'll be getting making the rounds around southern Louisiana, trying to get in as many bookstores as I can to, to get signed author's copies at various bookstores as well. So hopefully over the next few months we can tackle that. And, um, uh, you know, I think people will find a lot of things in there that they don't know about two men that have had a lot written about them over the years. You think you know a lot about Drew Brees and Champagne, but I think you'll learn a lot about them that you didn't know by reading the book. Looking forward to read it myself, Jeff. Appreciate the time, and um, you know, just uh, it's been fun, man. Let's uh, maybe I won't wait ten years next time to reach out to you and have you on the show again. Sure, anytime, Scott. Man, I enjoyed it, and uh, you have a great uh, rest of your day and rest of your week. Thank you so much. That is Jeff Duncan, guys. Go check it out. Peyton and Breeze, the men who built the greatest offense in NFL history.